Last week, Dave kicked us off with a new series, and we're looking at where the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. So I think that's quite good at the start of prayer week, isn't it? For us to say to God, can you teach us to pray? And Jesus gives them this answer. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So just to give you an idea about what I'm going to talk about, I'm going to look at what the kingdom of God is, what is it? What are we saying? And um, how do we join in with it? But first, I want to tell you a little bit um, about my work. My work, I work in an international team. Um, and uh, we, one day, we needed somebody who spoke Spanish for one of our clinics at the hospital. And uh, we realized that somebody did speak Spanish. And we went round and pe- asking, what languages have people got? And we realized we had just a massive range of languages. We had some, lots of European languages, Spanish, French, German. We had some African languages, we had some uh, Arabic and Malaysian and loads of languages. And then somebody turns to me and says, Marion, have you got any languages? And I kind of thought for a minute and said, well, I can say the Lord's Prayer in Welsh. Um, which, which I sort of can. So it goes, I'm tired of gunnington and niroith, dillis, wetlis, megasin and nir, something like that. Apologies if you're a Welsh speaker. Because I was saying to David's parents, who are Welsh speakers, this prayer in Welsh, and his father pointed out that what I was saying was complete gobbledygook. It wasn't right at all. When I was saying, dillis o wetlis, megasin and nir, your kingdom come, no, gobbledygook. And so I wonder when we say, when we say to God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, are we just talking gobbledygook? We've no idea what we're saying. We've no idea what we're asking for. So hopefully this morning we'll investigate what does it mean to say to God, your will be done on earth as in heaven. So just take a moment. What do you mean when you say that? If you say that, your kingdom come, what do you mean? What are you asking of God? Well, we'll take a bit of time unpacking it and then we'll do a bit of practical, practical things. Um, I think the first thing to say about the kingdom is that there is a king, and the king is Jesus. And the Old Testament prophesies the arrival of a king, the arrival of Jesus. He's a long-promised king, and he's a crucified king, so he's not the king that they were expecting. But the, uh, and the kingdom that this king brings in is good news. And I think it's easy to lose sight of that. You hear Christians saying all sorts of things. The kingdom, the New Testament is clear, is good news. Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when Jesus started his ministry, he had this manifesto. His, he laid out what he was going to do. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So it was good news, and it is good news. Um, and it was good news that came in quite dramatic ways. Um, John Wimber and Paxham of what does it look like on the ground for the kingdom of God to meet with people? Uh, healings, things that dramatic things that you wouldn't expect to see happen. People turning and being transformed. But it's particularly good news for the poor. We read in Luke, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven, O kingdom of God. And I suppose you can imagine, if you've got nothing in this world, when you meet the king and you're part of the kingdom, it's really good news. So, 
it's good news, but what is that? Is it just a sort of something you can add on to your life? Is it something that the kingdom of God that you can just sort of live um, following whatever path you like and just stick on the kingdom when it suits you? Well, no, the other thing that Jesus says really commonly is repent. The kingdom of God has come. Repent and follow the kingdom. And repent just means turn around, literally turn from going this way to going that way. And I think when we think about the kingdom and when we read about the kingdom, there's, there's actually a bit of a choice. You, can't, you have to choose what you're going to do with your life. You have to make decisions about how you're going to live. And I guess there are two, there are more than one, one thing to live by, isn't there? There's loads of things out there that we can choose to live by. But what the kingdom is, is us choosing to align ourselves with the priorities of the king. Just simply that, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. I mean, things change over time of how that looks, I would say. I mean, in Jesus' time, he said to a man who was saying, well, I just need to go and do this first, and then I'll follow you. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You know, you've got, you might have to choose not to do something. It might be a good thing. But if you're following the king, you have to choose to say, I'm going to just go your way. It's an either or. Um, also, it has a practical implications for our lives. It, it says in, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, neither the thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And many of us will be in that category from time to time. But it, it is a choice that we have to decide to say, we're going to stop living this way, and we're going to turn and try to live in the way that the king requires. And because of that... Um, Jesus talked about the fact how hard it was for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. Whatever that means, there is a sense in which us in our Western lives, and many of us are extremely wealthy if you look at the, the context of the world, it's very hard for us to really take hold of the kingdom. There are so many distractions. There's so many things to live for. How do we do that? And I'm speaking to myself here. Because the, other, the, the thing that Jesus says is that if we seek the kingdom, seek it first. Yes, we all have desires. Yes, we all fail. Yes, we get distracted. But seek first the kingdom. And Jesus, let, let Jesus sort the rest out. Can we seek first his kingdom? So what sort of kingdom is it? Yes, it's good news. Yes, um, it's a choice. We're turning away. Um, is it a mighty kingdom? Can we go around telling everybody what to do? We'll be subjects of the king, the king of heaven, the king of the world, not just an earthly king. Maybe we'll be people of power. No, it's clear that it's, a, it's important that we know that it's a, a humility. It involves a humble existence. Whoever takes the lowly position of the child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And again, that's hard for us to get our heads around. And the more important we are, the harder that probably is. So have a think. If you consider yourself to be quite important, then this is going to be hard to, to think of a, following a king that requires humility. Wow, it sounds like we've got a lot of work to do this morning, doesn't it? A lot to sort out here in the room. <laughs> and that's just me. But there is some more good news that... Um, that the work of the kingdom, the work of the kingdom, isn't our own effort. Um, in Colossians, it says, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness 
and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So it's not just our effort. It is about us becoming subject to the king and receiving from him something rescuing from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So there's a a spiritual element and a practical element. So we can think about the practical elements of what does it mean for somebody to um, be set set free from the oppressed, from being oppressed. So um, if if you read different people's opinions of what does the kingdom mean, it often depends on where they are. So, and, and where they are in history as well. So at some points and times, people have kind of taken the kingdom to be about liberation. Like, what is the point of the kingdom of God if people are still slaves? Can we be people who bring in to this, the, that world freedom from oppression? The kingdom is actually coming when you see somebody set free from being oppressed. Um, you've got feminist uh, th- theologians who say, you know, actually, when uh, women are being oppressed because of the patriarchy, the kingdom comes when they're set free from that. It, it, when you're in a certain situation, you can see the very practical, tangible effects of the kingdom where you are. And there's also the spiritual sense um, where you, the Holy Spirit coming is, in many ways, the coming of the kingdom. The Spirit is the executor. He's the one who does it. He's the one who changes us. He's the one who transforms. So in different camps, you get people who say it's all practical. Let's get on. Let's write injustices. Let's get food banks going. Let's get political parties going. Let's have freedom. And then over here, you've got people saying, no, it's it's about worship and prayer and loving God and being transformed and seeing his Spirit come and uh, all of those things. But I think that the tension is the saying it is both. It's not, um, it's not just a matter of um, the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's, there's also a practical element. But if you stand over here and it's all practical, then you aren't necessarily working with the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can get sort of torn or, or torn between those two. So that's my whistle-stop tour of what it means to um, that what the king, what we're saying when we uh, ask God, your kingdom come on earth. It's both spiritual and it's practical. It involves us and our intention, but it involves the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So given that, why is it all so bleak? Why is it difficult? Um, And I think we just have to remember that the king, our king, was crucified. There's an enormous resistance to this kingdom. The powers that have authority and that want the structures to remain, hate the kingdom coming. There's a resistance. And anything we do, anyone who stands up for good in any way, meets resistance. There's a systems at work, both human and, I believe, spiritual forces that resist the kingdom of God. And that's why it can be really painful as we step out in resistance. And the followers of Jesus also met with death when they tried to bring out the kingdom in, on earth. There's an enormous resistance. And I think that leads us to the, this key concept of the now and the not yet of the kingdom. Wouldn't it be easy? Now means when we pray, we see things happening. If you've um, got an injury today or you want healing for something, 
The now is the kingdom comes, the knee gets better, the person skips off, or the prisoner is set free, or the person who's crushed is lifted up. And that's the now. And then there's the not yet. We know that not everything will be put right now and that many things are for the future. And again, you can go into two camps here. You can say it's all now. We just have to get the right faith. We have to claim things. We need to pray more. We need to step in. And you can be in the, well, actually, no, it's all for when Jesus comes again. And this is a picture of the sun coming up. When the sun's on the horizon, there's glimpses of light on the land, but much of it is still in darkness. The the now and the not yet of the kingdom. It would be so much easier if it was all now, every time we prayed, we saw something happen, or all not yet. No point in really praying for practical things. Nothing's going to happen until Jesus comes back at the end. Living in that tension of being willing to pray and see, ask God to do things now, but having an understanding that many things won't be put right until the end is the now and the not yet of the kingdom. And my guess is that anyone here who's been trying to live for the kingdom will have met this with disappointment, extreme disappointment, where you've stepped out for God and you've put your, yourself on the line, you've made decisions for him, and it's not gone the way you thought. Your life hasn't gone the way you hoped it would. Things just haven't worked out. Enormous disappointment in the now and the not yet of the kingdom. And maybe over the COVID years, things went wrong. Things just didn't turn out and you feel very let down. And I would encourage you to identify that, to to bring that disappointment to your mind, to bring it before God, to say, I'm disappointed, God. This hasn't gone the way I was expecting. And I think when you think of a disappointed biblical character, you've got to think of Peter. You know, he was so out there for God, wasn't he? He was like, Peter was one of Jesus's best friends. And he followed Jesus and he said, I will die for you. And he got out of the water and he walked on a boat. And he expected Jesus to be king and to overthrow the Romans that were oppressing them. And what happened? The king, his best friend, died and he was devastated. And he just went back to fishing devastated and disappointed. There is more to Peter's story, but I'm not going to go into it now. But I think this morning, my question is, how how did Peter move from being devastated and disappointed to being the person who preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people came to faith? He was just an ordinary guy, a devastated, ordinary person. How did he, what, what happened to him? Yes, he met with Jesus, but what changed in him was when the Holy Spirit came on him in power and he moved from being devastated, disappointed to being someone who could speak and the Holy Spirit came and the kingdom of God came in that place. So what about us? Where do we join in? Where do we fit in with seeing the Spirit come? And as I was preparing this, do you know what came to mind? It, it, it was from Ezekiel. So he was an Old Testament prophet, I don't know, 3,000, 5,000 years ago, a very long time ago. And Ezekiel gets a vision of a valley of dry bones. And God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And I think Ezekiel was a bit fed up, disappointed and devastated and kind of goes, Lord, you alone know. So what I want you to do now is look around at each other and say to God, can these bones live? Go on, have a go. Go on, Pete. 
can these bones live? These bones in this room, Lord God, can these bones live? Because we, we don't have to say you alone know. Ezekiel, God gives Ezekiel the answer. He says, I will put my spirit in them. I will give them a new flesh, a new heart. They're not dead bones. So I want you to turn around now and say to people, there's hope for you. <laughs> there's <laughs> And I think this morning we want to move, well, I want to move from being someone who says, Delisa Wuchlis, Megasananib, your kingdom, I've no idea what that means, to someone who says, God, I want to see your kingdom come on earth. I want to see dead bones live. I want to see spiritually dead people brought to life again around me. And I think that's hard. It's a really hard prayer. And it's particularly hard where we are at the moment. We look around the world as Pete prayed and we see such trauma and devastation. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom of peace and of joy and of justice. And how can we pray for that in this world? How can we pray for that? It's a big prayer. But I think the prayer is, will you start with me? That's a big prayer too. Lord, will you start with me? So I don't know where you are. I've been thinking about this for a while. And um, it, so it's kind of really spoken to my heart. And maybe you need some time to think about it. Prayer week is a good time to think. It's a good time to say, is this something I want? Is, do I want God to bring a renewal to me? Do I want God to revive this world and to start with me? Because I really do. You might have noticed yeah, but uh, and um, what I would like to do now is just give you a little minute to allow God to talk to your heart to see if you can come from a place of disappointment to say, Lord, would you start with me? Bring that renewal, bring that revival, and start with me. So I think it's really good to. Um, to acknowledge that. So if you want to, then I would just like to invite you now to stand and to say, Lord, start with me. Would you start with me? Bring your revival, bring your renewal and start with me. And I'm just going to pray. Father God, I just thank you that you want to start with us. We're a motley crew. We're broken bones. Many of us feel like we're dead on the ground. And we just say, would you start with us? Would you forgive us for living life our own way? For being distracted by all the things around us? Would you forgive us? Would you restore us? Would you fill us with your spirit so that we can be your agents for the kingdom on earth? We can join with you as you tackle the darkness our world. We can't do it without you, Lord. We just thank you that you've said you won't leave us alone. We're not orphans. Start with us. Amen. Take your seats. 
So I think from the place of devastation to saying, Lord, would you start with us? There's a revival of our hope. And I think we have to let go of all our preconceived ideas and our expectations of what it might look like. The things that we imagined and we hoped for, we have to let go of them and let God give us his hope. Allow us to see the things that are happening. We have to spot the little things that are happening around us that God is doing that we're missing because in our disappointment, we can't see them anymore. And, and since I've been thinking about this, I've just noticed so many little whispers, whispers of renewal and revival. Of a friend of mine who's uh, 60, who become really cynical about faith, still going to church, but just cynical about stuff. I've seen him in a place of cynicism meet with God in a powerful way. And I'm like, gosh, that's, that's revival happening there. Whispers of people experiencing something of God. People being called to hear about God or to learn about God who aren't from faith backgrounds. Can we be sensitive to seeing what God is doing around us? And can we listen to what God is asking us to do in different situations? And it's different for each of us. As during prayer week, let's be sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit and what he's saying. Because I think in this church, we tend to jump towards the practical, which I love. I love practical stuff. Let's just do something. Let's give someone some food. Let's do something. But I've also been challenged by Peter and John, who, after Jesus was resurrected, um, saw a man outside the uh, temple begging, outside the synagogue begging, and um, outside the temple, yeah. Uh, and they say to him, silver and gold have I none, but what I have got I will give you. And I think because we've probably got some stuff we can do, we tend to jump towards doing something. But I, I wonder whether God is asking us to start saying, silver and gold have I none. What material stuff is not going to fix this? What's going to fix this? I know someone who can meet with you, who can bring a change to you right now. Can we bring that into our prayer life? When you see a problem, let's just not leap in with silver and gold. Let's ask God, what does God want to do in this situation? What's his voice? Being sensitive to that. And the good news is that the end of the story, the now and the not yet, is that at one day, everything will be put right. The kingdom of the world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And that little flames that he's left on earth become this flame where things are put right. And if you read the, the so many passages about what that looks like, the peace, the lion and the lamb, the end of war, no baby won't live out its full life. You know, there's a sense of the kingdom coming and it being a perfect place. So I'm bringing this to, to, to land, but just saying, you know, over this prayer week, I've set my alarm for 12 o'clock and every day I'm not going to be saying Dilisa Wattlis, I'm sorry to the Welsh speakers. I'm going to be saying, Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Start with me. Amen. And back to Pete.